So I stood with anticipation as May Nimrod handed me the box. See, this elderly woman had watched me grow up in the church for years, and she loved me dearly. And she contacted me the night before and said, I've got a present for you on your birthday. So as I'm looking at this beautifully wrapped present, my heart is racing with excitement. And I'm thinking, what's in this thing? So I very delicately and politely begin to peel back the wrapper. I look inside the box, and there it is, a Bible. A Bible, really? I thought, okay, it's a, it's nice that you thought about me. What in the world am I gonna do with the Bible? I mean, don't get me wrong, leather bound, had my name on the bottom of it. You know, it was a beautiful gift, but I thought to myself, I'd been going to church for years. I've been in Sunday school. I can tell you all kinds of facts about Jesus. I was saved. What in the world was I gonna do with the Bible? Why did I need a Bible? So I took it home, left disappointed, put it up on my shelf, and it stayed there collecting dust for about a year. Well, like I said, about a year later, the Holy Spirit prompted me, and I looked up on my shelf, and there it was, the Bible. I thought, I'm gonna read that thing. You know, I've never actually read what God's Word says. And when I opened it up, I couldn't put it down. I can't explain it, but it was like God put me in the story. I was the guy coming to Jesus at night asking, how do you enter the kingdom of heaven? I was the woman at the well that Jesus was gently confronting with her sins. I was the lame guy at the pool of Bethsaida that Jesus said, stand up and walk. And I'm telling you, I could explain it, but every time I read it, it was like Jesus was speaking to me personally. He was counseling me. He was teaching me. He was telling me all kinds of things through these real-life stories of people that he had touched. And his words, I mean, you know what I'm talking about if you've read the scripture. His words were packed with truth, with conviction, with character. And the, and, and the thought occurred to me as I was reading it, I'm getting to know this man personally. As I read his words and as I relate to him and he's relating to me, there's something going on here. There's something supernatural taking place. And there was. It was a supernatural oneness. God and I were becoming very close friends. And it was through the intimacy of his word. Well, day after day, I, I couldn't wait to see what Jesus wanted to say to me. And I just felt like the finger of God was writing his words on my heart. You know, I was thinking about him all the time. I'd go to school and I was thinking about him. I'd go to work and I was thinking about him. I'd come home and I was thinking about him. I mean, they'd even pop into my mind when I was going through different kinds of struggles. And it wasn't that I was intentionally trying to think about him, but it was just happening because as I was sitting, listening to Jesus' words at his feet, he was changing my thinking. And as my thinking changed, well, guess what? His words were right there. And I loved it. I loved it. Well, honestly, I wore that Bible out. And I, did, I wore it out so bad that the pages were falling out and I had to throw it in the trash. However, 
it took me a long time to realize how precious that gift was. And I want you to think about that for a second. Every single one of us have access to God's word. How long has it been since you've pulled that thing off the shelf, dusted off the dust, and actually read what Jesus has to say? Well, now more than ever, I believe God's people need to be communing with him through his word, sitting at his feet, listening to what the master has to tell us personally, personally. You know, we need some holy habits where we're regularly staying connected, staying in God's word. And you've probably seen it. The spirit of lawlessness, it is destroying this nation. Now more than ever, we need God's people to get into his word, to, to discover God's laws, and then be able to tell these people out here that this, this, this isn't right. I mean, we can't expect non-Christians to pick up the Bible and read it, right? This, this is our job. This is our job. Well, recently I found, out a, I found a statistic. It kind of made me sad, to be honest with you. Only 21% of evangelical Christians, evangelical Christians, people who claim to be born again, who attend church every Sunday, only 21% have a biblical worldview. Isn't that sad? Worldview meaning that, that all the information that they take in and all their experiences, they process that through the scriptures. They let the scriptures interpret that. And when I thought about that, I thought, wow, that's crazy. 21% of evangelical Christians? Well, I thought, well, maybe they had the same attitude I did. Why do I need to read the Bible? You know, I go to church every Sunday. I hear it from pastor. I go to Sunday school. I know the facts that Jesus taught. Why, why would I need to know it? Well, I found out that knowing, knowing the facts and knowing the person of the word is two different things. They are vastly different, vastly different. So as I was praying this week, God gave me a heavy burden to encourage believers to get to know God's word personally, get into it, remain in it. And I know that in this congregation, many of you are already reading God's word. You, you've made that a habit. You've made that a practice. And God bless you. But there's some of you out there that maybe haven't. Some of you out there are maybe just waiting for the nudge to get in and to really, to really get to know God. Well, it is. It's, it's, it's time to grow up. It's time to stop being spoon-fed. And I think that God has given me a plan that might help some of you uh, to get into that habit. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 15. And would you stand with me as we read God's word? I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain 
in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Father, we love you this morning. We're so grateful that you have chosen the word of God as the tool to relate to us, and that through your word, we might relate to you. This morning, I ask that you will empower me with your unction, that I will speak clearly and briefly and simply, and that you will do what only you can do. Plant the seed of your word, encourage, heal, convict. Lord, it is in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. may be seated. So I believe now more than ever, God is calling his people to have a personal encounter with his word. John 15 illustrates this beautifully. If you look at verses one through four, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, the disciples would have understood what he was saying because the vine in Israel was a sign of the Messiah. And let me give you a little bit of context where he is. So he's in the upper room, right? And he's talking to his disciples. And this is the last time, really one of the last times they're going to be able to speak. And if you were to think about how you would feel if you had all these things you wanted to say to somebody that you loved very, very much, and you only had a short amount of time to do it. Well, that's where Jesus is. And that's, that, that, that's what's happening here. And when he uses this metaphor... I am the true vine. He's pointing them. He's pointing them to himself. See, the vine was a prominent symbol in Israel too. When you went to the temple, there was a huge gold vine on the front of the temple. And every time people would go and worship at the temple and they'd look up at this vine, they would remember Psalms 80 verses 9 and 10 where it talks about how Israel was God's vine, that he brought them out of the wilderness, that he planted them, that he, that he planted them and caused them to produce fruit. What Jesus said when he said, I am the true vine, I can't help but think the disciples understood what he was really saying. He was saying, I believe Israel is not the true vine. It's not enough just to be a part of Israel. It's not enough just to be a part of the Jewish system. You have to be engrafted into me. If you want to be connected to God, you've got to be connected with me. And you know, when you think about that, it's not enough now, right? To come to church every Sunday and, you know, just go through the motions. A person has to be engrafted into the true vine 
because there is no life outside of the vine. This is what 1 John 5.12 says. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Well, in verses 2 through 3, Jesus tells us, you know, how to be engrafted in the vine. It's not some kind of mystical experience that few people understand. It's really very simple. He says in verse 3, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You see, engrafting begins when a person is born again, when they hear the message of the gospel, when they choose to turn away from their sins and submit their whole life to Jesus, bam, the seed of God's word takes root inside of him. It begins to spring up and grow. Just like 1 Peter says, for you have been born again, not of the perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. But it doesn't stop there. Even after you're born again, God uses his word to clean you, to prune you, to sanctify you. In fact, there's nothing that God does that is not through his word. Everything God does in our life is through his word. That's his vessel. That's his tool. So that tells us God's word should have first place in us. It should have the number one top priority place in our lives. Well, <clears throat> verse four says, Jesus says, if you remain in me, I will also remain in you. So how do we remain in Jesus? Well, it's by spending time in his word. Spending time with the word. See, a person can't really get to know God unless they read his word. Let me say that again, because I think, I think that's something that, that resonated with me this week. A person can't really get to know God unless they spend time in his word. It's the word of God that creates that mutual relationship. See, when we read God, or when we read God's word and believe it, we're trusting him personally. When you're convicted, he's personally disciplining you. When you wrestle with scripture that you don't understand, you are like Jacob wrestling with God. When you fear and tremble at what the Bible says, you're fearing God. God and his word are one, and there is no separating them. I think this is why the scripture tells us in Hebrews, God's word is living and active. And 1 John, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen. See, when you start reading God's word so frequently, you're getting in it, and it becomes a part of your mind. The Holy Spirit embeds it at your core. I mean, even when you're not thinking about it, you're still thinking about it. Now, that sounds crazy, but that's the truth. Somehow, some way, he implants that in us to where it is subconsciously always right there. But it takes effort on our part. It takes setting aside time, overcoming those obstacles to really put forth that time to, to sit and to listen to what he says. So 
You might be thinking, okay, well, Jason, are you saying to have this continual connection to the Bible, you know, where I'm getting these life-sustaining words, are you saying that I have to be constantly reading the Bible? No. That's not realistic. But what I am saying is, is that as a believer, we should have such a deep love for the word, such a hunger for it, that we are reading it frequently. So frequently that it allows the Holy Spirit to write it on our heart, that we're taking time to study it, to memorize it, to, to get to know Jesus' words personally. Because here's a situation. Jesus states a fact. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I wonder if that's why sometimes the church as a whole is so fruitless, so powerless, because we're not remaining in his word. Well, there's a principle here that I want to share with you. If you want to write this down, you can. It's impossible for a believer to bear the fruits of the Spirit and fruits of the kingdom unless they remain in God's word. Let me say that again. It's impossible for a believer to bear the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the kingdom unless we remain in God's word. So are you experiencing frustration in your Christian life because you're trying to be like Jesus? You're trying to be kind. You're trying to be generous. You're trying to be forgiving. But you're constantly failing. Are you reading his word? Are you discouraged because you want to overcome some kind of temptation, but you can't seem to have victory? Are you getting to know Jesus' words personally? Do you want God to do something great in your life, something big, something eternal? Well, then plug into the life source of his word. I mean, you might say, well, it can't be that simple, but it is that simple. It is. It's simply taking the time to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to what he has to say, then believe it and apply it. Well, we're going to move here. In verses 5 through 9, Jesus says, the purpose of a disciple is to bring God glory by bearing much fruit. Look at verse 5. If, I love this promise, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. We're not talking about a little bit of fruit. We're not talking about a handful of fruit. We're talking about an abundance. If you remain in me, you will bear an abundance of fruit. And again, he's not saying you might or there's a good chance. You will. If you're getting into the word of God and you're believing it, you're obeying it, you're going to produce the fruits of the spirit and, and the fruits of reproduction, right? Now, one thing I love about this passage, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get discouraged because I think, God, are you really doing anything through me? You know, I'm talking to fifth and kindergarten through fifth graders all day, and are you really making a difference in, through my life? And you know, God brings me back to this passage and reminds me, are you in my word? 
Yeah. Are you believing it? Yeah. Are you obeying it? Yeah. Well, then I'm using you. That's the truth. We start to come down on ourselves because we think, well, God just isn't using me. Well, that's not what he promised. He promised, I will use you. If you remain in me, I will bear fruit. So what is the fruit? Well, Galatians 5 tells us it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's really the attributes of Jesus. We take them on. We become more like him. But again, fruit also implies that, that, that it's reproduction, right? Fruit had seeds, and it reproduces itself. So when you're in God's word, guess what? God's word empowers you to reproduce yourself. You witness with more boldness. You teach with conviction. You testify about God's power at work in your life because it's so personal. People think, well, what's going on with that person? Why is their Christianity so different? Well, it's not. They're just the same like you, but they just spend time in the Word. They've just gotten to know the Scriptures personally. God is His Word. And you cannot separate God from His Word. Then verse 6, this is sober. Jesus gives us a warning. He says there's a consequence and a, and a real danger of not remaining in Him. He says those branches eventually wither and thrown away into the fire and they're burned. Well, I said this is sober. This is sobering. But it makes sense. You break a branch off of a tree, it withers. It dies. It's not going to produce fruit. It's going to sit there and look ugly. Its leaves are going to die. It's not going to, it's not going to be, it's worthless. It's useless. So is this a reference indicating someone can lose their salvation? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure. In my opinion, if you're truly born again, you're not going to be broken off. If you're truly born again, nothing can snap you, snatch you out of Jesus' hand. But there is an application to this. And the application is, is that if you're a person that never reads the Bible, if you, if you never, if, if, if there's no desire in you to know God's word, in my opinion, you might want to evaluate your salvation because you might not be saved. It's the new nature in us that puts that desire to know him, to get to know him. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus promises this. He says that those who remain in him can ask anything that will glorify God, and he will do it. I mean, what a promise. Anything that will glorify God and he will do it. And it really tells me that there's a connection between those who remain in Jesus' words and answered prayer. See, Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, God promises to answer that prayer that it might bring glory to him. Charles Spurgeon wrote, prayer comes spontaneously 
from those who abide in Jesus. Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. Well, it's, you might ask, well, how does God do that? How can he make a promise like that? Because people who are in God's word generally pray God's will because they know his heart. They understand him. They know him. Well, there's a principle here. You write this down if you want. God answers the prayers of those who remain in him. James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When people pray according to the will of God, God is glorified by answering those prayers. So here's my question to you. How often does God answer your prayers? If not often, could it be that you're not abiding in his word and that possibly your prayers are not in line with God's will? And we know sometimes God tells us, wait, and there's a long period of time. I've been praying for many years for a specific prayer. And it's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Verses 9 through 10, Jesus declares his love for his people. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, this is one of those extremely personal statements that just really gets your heart when you stop and think about it. Now, wait a minute. That can't be right. As the Father loves you, you love me? How can that be? But it's the truth. There was no greater love for Jesus to compare his own love to, for us, but the love of his Father. See, he couldn't have said, I love you like a mother loves her child. That's not good enough. Not for Jesus. I love you like a best friend loves a best friend. No, Jesus says, I love you with the same intensity, the same passion, the same fervor, the same, the, the same unfailing, eternal love that the Father loves him with. You, do you see what I'm talking about? You get into the scriptures and you find out nuggets like that, nuggets of truth like that, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa. You know, this is personal. This is personal. Well, this is the way Jesus loves his friends. And those who remain in his word experience the personalness of this love. Have you ever thought about this? The scriptures are God's love letter to us. God penned this book over 4,000 years 66 different books, approximately 47 different authors, never contradicts itself, has no error, absolutely truth from cover to cover. That's his word, and only God could have done it. This is his love letter to you personally. Read it and find out how in love with you he really is. Well, Jesus commands us, remain 
in my love. And he says in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And Jesus reiterates that we're saved to do good works. Not saved by our works, but we're saved to do good works. And remaining in God's word includes obeying what we heard. Let me, let me read out of James here real quick. This is powerful. James 1, 22 through 25 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, there, there it is again, remain, 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 like, you know, 10 times in that passage. He who continues in it, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Here's my last principle. Those who remain in Jesus keep his commands. Those who remain in Jesus keep his commands. I was talking to my cousin last night, and she was, she was talking to me about friends that, you know, these friends would tell you that they believe in God and that they love God, and, and yet they don't follow his commands. And it just made me think we're living in a, in a state and time where, you know, everybody can, can claim that title. I'm a Christian. I love God. I believe in Jesus. But really, it's the lifestyle. It's, it's the lifestyle. Are, are you following his commands? Are you obeying what the scripture says? Well, I want to wrap this up this morning. In conclusion, I believe that God is calling his people to experience him personally in his word. And regularly. Like I said, it's going to take some work. There's all kinds of obstacles that we have to overcome. Five kids, coronavirus at school demanding four, four schedules. You know, just craziness. But the reward is so worth it. You know, Jesus talks about the treasure being hidden in a field. And he doesn't tell us how deep the treasure is. But if somebody told you that there were millions and millions of dollars buried in a field, but it was buried down like, you know, maybe 50 feet, you'd find a way to dig it up. Well, that's the truth with the scriptures too. I mean, there is a load of spiritual wealth in this book. And we gotta find a way to dig it up, dig it out. 